This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to Your Income Company, an investing podcast striving to disrupt the norms in the finance industry. I'm Maddie, and as always, I'm in some very good company with my co-host, Sophie. <laughs> I like what you did with the words there, Maddie. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I've been working very hard on the intro. <laughs> I love that. Maddie, it's fair to say that we have been feeling for our New South Wales listeners, especially because we're from Vic and we were in a pretty drastic lockdown last year. Yes, we know how it feels. Yeah, and also our hearts are with everyone that's in Victoria as well because we're also in lockdown. (laughs) We are back to recording remotely. We love it. (laughs) Yes. how we started. Well, yes. let's not put too much of a dampener on the mood too early in the app, but it has got me thinking. So if you could go anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me this question and I didn't even think about it. <laughs> Did you pre-read our <laughs> no. notes? No. <laughs> I'm like really going with the ad lib at the moment, you know, making it really organic. Um, <laughs> I would probably say like... I'm going to be a real basic person and probably say like a beach overseas, a super nice beach overseas, just because like Melbourne winter's mm. so cold and like just the thought of some sunshine, so, so dark. dark. Like, you know, the best, <laughs> like the best thing about like summer overseas or like even summer in, in Australia, but like when the nights finish at 9 p.m., that's my favorite thing. Yeah. So that's, I don't know, I don't know the exact place, but just picture me on a beach. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> okay. I just have a real yearning at the moment to be in Italy in summer, like eating pizza, having Aperols. <laughs> well, why don't we just, why don't we just both say we're going to Italy? <laughs> also, just like the culturalness. That's not a word, you know what I mean? Of like being surrounded by another language. Like I've really been craving that. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, before we jump into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respect to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. I did want to say as well, before we get too much further into today's episode, we are very excited because we have got a bunch of new listeners tuning into Your Inglewood Company recently. So a very good welcome to you. Your Inglewood Company definitely doesn't end at at the end of the episode so we would love you to follow us on instagram at yjc podcast and tiktok yes we are trying our hand at tiktok if you have any tips please hit us up send them through and you can also join our facebook community at yjc investing podcast discussion group it's an awesome space where people can ask questions discuss different ideas and all that kind of stuff so you're probably wondering why you're here today <laughs> and it's to learn about international investing. That's our topic for the day. So on the podcast thus far, we've been really mainly 
speaking about buying shares or ETFs uh, on the ASX, which is the Australian uh, Stock Exchange. And we believe that it is the best place to start, like especially if you're sitting in Australia, uh, as in investing in companies that you interact with daily and, and understand who they are really helps you understand and, and feel a bit more comfortable where you're putting your money. Yeah. And I think if you're listening to this and have only invested in the Australian market, then you're definitely not alone. The ASX investor study from 2020 said that only 15% of Australian shareholders are actually owning international shares. So as a whole, Australian investors are very domestically focused and pretty, I guess, sort of isolated from foreign markets. Yeah, well, I guess it's easier to do so. When you know something, it's easier to stick with it, I guess. 100%. Yeah. But we have definitely become familiar with the word diversification. <laughs> I think we should start <laughs> counting the amount of times we've said it because it would be maybe a world, getting close to a world record. And um, the importance of diversifying your portfolio to manage risk. And one of those ways is to diverge into the international space. Nice. International overseas, not like interspace. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Just to clarify. <laughs> yeah. I've been a few big dogs going to space recently, though. Yeah, so, I know. I, I mean, <laughs> maybe we should do an episode on that. I don't know. <laughs> Can I be like a conspiracy theorist for like one minute? Because I read a, <laughs> an, oh, gosh. an article today <laughs> that like Richard Branson wasn't actually in space. And I'm like, I just love this Whoa, stuff. Huge. I love it. I love it. I just love conspiracy theories. It's so fun. (laughs) Right. We are learning a new side to Sophie this afternoon. (laughs) Well, I have a little game in mind for us to get started on this episode. Mm -hmm. I want to time you and I want you like a really good product saleswoman on horrible daytime TV to try and sell me the benefits of investing in the Australian market to start off with. Okay. And then at exactly one minute, I'm going to cut you off and then I'm going to do the same, but I'm going to try and sell you the complete opposite and bring to our attention some of the downsides of investing in the ASX. Okay. So I'm like channeling my inner Lisa Rinna selling cardigans on daytime TV. Yeah. And I'm the, I'm the benefits of ASX. Yes. Yeah. So you're going to tell us all the good things about ASX. I've just pulled up a timer. So when you're ready, wait, I'll I'll count you in. Ready? Let me clear my throat. (coughs) (laughs) I'm going to cut you off at exactly one minute. Just so you know, I'm not being really stressed, but what if I don't have enough to say? (laughs) Anyway, we'll try it. (laughs) All right. Three, two, one, go. Firstly, if you're an Australian, it can be easier to invest in the domestic market purely because (laughs) you're able to invest in brands that you know and love. There's also a lot less admin, and who likes admin when it comes to buying and selling stocks? (laughs) You don't need to fill out any international forms or even think about different types of tax, and thinking about different types of tax is a total headache. (laughs) But from a broader market perspective, Australia is an island, yes, a lovely island. So during COVID, it's kind of had a moat to protect the economy. Over COVID, Australia really had the advantage of being able to literally create a moat (laughs) by closing our borders. (laughs) Awkward. 20 seconds to go. (laughs) We all do, although we do heavily rely on exporting and importing. So, you know, that that does count too. But overall, we're a very developed and pretty consistent economy with strong governance. And when you're investing in Australian companies, you're You're helping the local economy and helping create some successful Australian business stories. Thank you. 
pretty good. You went three seconds over, but I'll give it to you. I felt like I was more in a school debate than on daytime yeah. television. Just I actually think this is maybe is more the vibe. Less daytime. Maybe we should get a soundtrack behind us to try and make it more daytime TV. Okay. <laughs> to summarize, the benefits of the Australian, like investing in the Australian stock market, is obviously that it can be easier if you're sitting in Australia. There is a little bit less admin, definitely, with all the tax side of things. Um, you yeah. don't need to be thinking about it as much. You do need to be thinking about it, but not as, you know, it's not as complicated. <laughs> and Australia is a very, you know, strong economy. We do have a strong governance and we've, de- we are quite a developed economy as well. So, you, you know, you're somewhat kind of safe investing in, in Australian shares compared to maybe overseas in certain countries. Yeah. Nice. So I'm timing you. Yes. And I'm going to do just highlight some of the drawbacks of and this is like it's not so much a drawback of investing in Australia it's more drawbacks of only investing in Australia so like limiting yourself to the Australian market okay so three two one hey Sophie do you want to go on an overseas holiday I know I would love to go on a holiday but I can't go on a holiday because Australia is very far behind on the COVID vaccination rollout I don't know about you, but I'm getting sad that other places in the world are opening up and we in Australia are starting to feel like we're getting left behind, which leads me wonderfully into the first downside of only investing in Australia. We have come to know and love the benefits of diversification here at Your In Good Company. Why do we do it? To reduce our risk. So imagine if you are only investing in Australian businesses and something happened in the Australian economy, say... In a very hypothetical world, we were battling COVID while the rest of the world was vaccinated and living with it. Then your entire portfolio would suffer, all thanks to Australia. Wow. The reality is the Australian share market makes up just 2% of markets globally. Let that sink in, 2% of global markets. Five seconds. Sorry, oh gosh. (laughs) And some of the world's largest and greatest companies are overseas. So if you're willing to limit yourself just to the Australian market, then you are missing out on 98% of other opportunities. (laughs) The end. I think that was really good. The only thing I would say is that, yeah, I'd love to travel overseas, but I also really just want to go to Tasmania. So (laughs) true. Or WA. (laughs) Like there's still places I want to go to in Australia that I can't get to. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) But no, I think to conclude, whilst we're pretty content that Australia is one of the greatest places on earth, obviously, and we should absolutely be taking advantage of our insider intel gained from living here by investing on the Australian Stock Exchange, we would be unnecessarily putting ourselves at a disadvantage by not investing internationally. And I would say that when you speak to anyone, you know, any of the big investors around the world, like they would find it strange if you weren't investing internationally. It's commonplace. Yeah, I completely agree. I do wonder if we have any international listeners tuning into the podcast. Actually, we had someone from the UK post on the Facebook group this week. Mm. Oh, exciting. (laughs) Sorry, we didn't mean to offend you about Australia is the best place on the earth. Everywhere else is good too. (laughs) No, but if you're, please, if you're listening from outside of Australia, find us on Instagram at YIGC Podcast and send us a DM because I'd love to hear from you. I know. I wonder if there's anywhere exotic. Oh, that would be really cool. I wonder if Sash, our producer, can like look that up somehow. I wonder if we can get those stats. We'll get in touch with you. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to take a quick break for our sponsors and we will be right back to talk about how you can actually invest internationally. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So we've just touched on what the benefits are of investing a little bit overseas and maybe what the drawbacks are of just investing in in Australia. But we want to talk about where you actually can invest overseas. Um, There's a lot going on. So (laughs) I thought, Maddie, I'm going to name some of the exchanges. So just like the ASX, which we've mentioned a couple of times now, um, I'm going to challenge you to name some of the companies listed on Ooh. other exchanges around the world. Okay, nice. So just as a reminder, an exchange is the place where you buy and sell shares. So if you've downloaded a brokerage app and you're purchasing shares, and you're then you're most likely at the moment, you would be buying from the Australian Securities Exchange. But there are exchanges all over the world, so that's what we're going to go through now. So one of the first exchanges is NYSE, which stands for the New York Stock Exchange, which is Ooh, one of big one. Yeah, one of the biggest. So what are some companies that you think would be listed on the New York Stock Exchange? Okay, so I do know one. In fact, I think I know two. So I know the first one that I'm thinking of is Uber. I'm pretty sure is on the New York Stock Exchange. Another one which we posted about recently is Pinterest. So Oh, yeah. They, we posted about them because they have announced they're banning all weight loss um, related posts, I think, which is pretty cool. Or ads, yeah. Yeah. The other one that is pretty relevant right now is Pfizer, is listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Fun fact. I've done your research. <laughs> well done. <laughs> then the next one is the NASDAQ. So you might have heard this one before. Um, that's also a US stock exchange. What? companies are listed on the NASDAQ. Yeah. So this one is quite well known, like you said, also in the US, well known for like tech and innovation stocks. So this is where you'll find your Facebook, your Amazon, Tesla are all on the NASDAQ. So if I did want to ask you though, why are there two stock exchanges both based in the US? Yeah. So this is actually pretty common around the world. Like there can be multiple stock exchanges within one country, but often like one will be more popular. Like I know that there's a couple in Australia, but most people use the ASX. The difference specifically between the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ is actually, there's a couple of different reasons, but the main way is the way that they execute trades. So the New York Stock Exchange is kind of like a little bit more old school. It's known as an auction market where like the highest, when someone like 
um, puts out a buy or sell order. Like a physical person will like match them to another physical person <laughs> um, <laughs> with a price, yeah, <laughs> and and sell the sell the stock or or buy the stock or whatever. And then the Nasdaq is what's called a dealer's market, and that's that trade happens electronically through a dealer, but it happens within split seconds. So it's kind of like the more old school versus like the New York Stock Exchange was, I think, the first exchange in the US and there's still people on the floor so that you've got that classic like Wall Street Whoa, image. Oh, yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, cool. I know. And then the NASDAQ is um, the first electronic exchange. So everything's happening online. Cool. So I guess that kind of makes sense then because a lot of your blue chip names, the big sort of older classic companies yes. are on the New York Stock Exchange versus the NASDAQ, like I said before, is kind of more like your growth tech, like big fancy stocks. <laughs> yeah. And I was actually looking into it um, today because F45 has just listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Yes, it has. Very exciting. Yeah. I was trying to understand like why companies choose which exchange to go on and I think there's just you know some differences with like costs and capital that you can get access to like there's a whole different range of reasons but I think at the end of the day the same thing's happening share prices aren't different on this, the exchanges they're exactly the same so I guess it's just user's choice cool nice yeah so my next stock exchange for you and I want you to guess which one this is you'll probably know but I'll just say the acronym it's the AEX okay I think this one has become a lot more popular recently. And we're going to touch on this a bit later why in the episode, but it's the Amsterdam Stock Exchange, right? Yeah. And do you know some companies that are listed on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange? I can definitely tell you one. Um, and there's some backstory as to why. So Heineken is listed on the yep. Stock Exchange there. Yeah. Been to the Heineken Museum in Amsterdam. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> That's the only what else is I on knew. the Amsterdam Stock Exchange? Well, it's a bit of a mixed basket, but things like Philips, you know, the... Ah, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Ryanair. If you've ever travelled to Europe, you've probably taken a Ryanair Ooh, flight. Scary flight. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones when everyone claps when you land. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So then the next one is the London Stock Exchange. Yes. This one has got AstraZeneca, the other vaccine that we've yep. got in Australia, um, and Deliveroo recently IPO'd on the London Stock Exchange. Yep. And then the final one, I mean, and when we say final, there's so many more out there. These are just our examples, is the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. I'm going to guess that Tencent is on this one, the yep. Chinese behemoth. Um, I don't know any others. <laughs> yeah, so it is. It, there are you know, on this exchange. There's obviously a lot more companies, um, Chinese companies, and also companies from like the Asia, more of the Asian re- region. But you've got things like HSBC, the bank. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, and also the China Construction Bank. Okay. So I guess what we're trying to achieve here by saying all these things is that there's exchanges around the world. There's something like 60 different stock exchanges around the world. Usually companies will go on to one of those exchanges. They can choose which exchange to go on. It might be because of the region they're in. It might be because of the capital that's available in those countries. It's for whole different reasons. So, so if I sort of pointed out before in my beautiful minute explanation <laughs> why it might be a good idea to sort of look beyond just investing in the Australian market, we know some of the places now where we can sort of look to invest different exchanges around the world, but I am wondering, let's actually go through what some of the benefits of investing globally more directly are. 
We touched on a little bit earlier, but there's lots of different types and that's that word diversification. So I think the first one that is probably worth touching on is just more generally like geographic diversification in your portfolio. So if you only invest in Australian companies, your returns will totally be dependent on the performance of the overall Australian economy. Obviously, companies can still do well, even if they are Australian, if you know they're exporting overseas and making revenues and profits that way. But you are kind of a little bit more locked into if there is a downturn in the Australian economy, that all those companies that you're invested in will be impacted by that one event. Yeah, I guess it's thinking about like, let's say if COVID was only in Australia and we had like all those lockdowns and things like that, like Australian companies are really directly impacted. And if hypothetically the rest of the world hadn't experienced that, then our stocks would have taken a really big dive, whereas maybe overseas they wouldn't have had that same effect. Yeah, I agree. Now, the second one is sector diversification. Yeah, so this is a good one to think about because the Australian market is really relatively small compared to global markets. But then I guess on top of that as well, the Australian Stock Exchange is really dominated by financial and mining companies. So our like biggest companies are banks on the whole. So I guess the international share market can really give access to sectors that are quite underrepresented on the Australian market. So if you look at the US, for example, you know, you can get some exposure to some really big pharmaceutical companies. You can get some great exposure to like aerospace or AI sectors, which you can't really get sort of that broad exposure on the Australian stock exchange. Yeah, moving into different industries is also an important part of um, your diversification. As we've said before, you don't want to just be buying all the banks in Australia, even if they're doing well. It's probably not going to be great if all of a sudden the banks go down. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which we hope they don't. (laughs) Exactly. And I guess a good way to think about this is if you're thinking about like investing in broad sort of ETFs. So if you're buying into the Australian market, this is where you're really going to be impacted. And if you're just buying into the top ASX 200 companies, then, you know, you're not really going to be getting exposure to aerospace engineering. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, when, when you're investing overseas as well, you're more likely to get be getting exposure to different sectors of the market. Yeah. So another one to think about is market cap diversification. So just to rejog our memories really quickly, market cap or market capitalization in the longer word <laughs> is the number of shares that a company has times the share price. Yeah. The result of that equation is the company's market cap. Yeah. So if you think about like a really easy example, like obviously Facebook's market capitalization is going to be huge because it has so many people investing in it at such a high share price compared to maybe like something like your Adore Beauty, which, you know, is only just recently IPO'd, wouldn't have as many shareholders, a bit of a lower share price. That's kind of what determines your market capitalization. But when you invest overseas, as I've just mentioned, the, um, Facebook as an example, you're getting exposure to much larger companies and that's just another form of diversification. So, you know, holding some big companies in your portfolio and then also holding some small companies in your portfolio. And those two types of companies can benefit for different reasons in different economic circumstances, but it's just another way of thinking about how you can diversify your portfolio. So I guess to give an example of this, the total market capital of the Australian Stock Exchange is $2.15 trillion. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But when you compare it to the total market capitalization of the New York Stock Exchange, 
That is $25.6 trillion. Okay, so, so that's a lot more so money. So much bigger. <laughs> it's a lot more money. So there really is a very big difference between the Australian market and some of the global markets, and I would say the US in particular. Yeah, that's true. Now, the last one isn't as much of a diversification of sorts. Like it's not, it doesn't have diversification in the name, but it's more just about like the growth opportunities that international investing um, does provide. I think a really common example of that is when you look into like more of the Asian region, you have these massive populations and countries that are developing quite rapidly. So there are potential opportunities there that you might not see in a developed market, but on the same token, the more reward you might get out of those growth opportunities, the more risk you may face. Yeah, definitely. And we have got an episode coming up next week all about emerging markets. So that's looking at a lot of sort of what you were just touching on. And we talk a lot about, you know, looking into that area, what kind of risk do you need to be comfortable with in order to potentially get the returns of those kind of markets? So Small plug, stay tuned for next week's episode as well. So Maddie, talking about risk, I think that leads us perfectly into speaking about some of the risks that do come from international trading. So the first one would be currency risk. Yeah, so I think that's probably the most sort of basic when you think international investing. So when you're investing internationally and in companies that aren't in Australia, then your investments aren't, you're not buying those companies with Australian dollars. So the value of your investment might fluctuate depending on like the exchange rate between, let's say if you're buying a US company between the Australian and US exchange rate. So The reason why that's something to think about is because not only are you sort of, do you have the movement in the company's value like you do in Australia, the stock price might go up and down, but you also have that added layer of impact of the currency, the exchange rate might go up and down, which also affects the value of your stock. Yeah. So that just means like, say if you bought, I don't know, a thousand dollars worth of Australian money into the USD company and it was worth say $700, but you know, in three months time, it goes down to be only worth $600. You're taking out 600 rather than 700. Even if the stock price hasn't moved, it's just because of the exchange rate. Yes, correct. So the next one, I guess that you have to think about is, you know, political, economic, regulatory risk in other countries. Every market is regulated differently. The Australian market is highly regulated and you may have heard of ASIC before. (laughs) They regulate (laughs) everything. at ASIC. (laughs) At ASIC. They ensure that market operators and participants adhere to market integrity rules and they will intervene if there's something that's like, off norm, you know? So if they see something that's like, if there's, if a, a price of a stock is trading at a really high price for some random reason, they'd be like, there's a glitch there. We're bring it back down to where it's meant to be. Yeah. And I guess it's just good to keep in mind that like, you know, we have really strict regulations in Australia and not all countries are the same. So depending on where you're investing, you might need to accept some higher risk in that regard if you are wanting to invest in that space. You could probably frame it as like transparency. Like we know yes. what's kind of going on. You might not know what's going on overseas necessarily. But a lot of them, a lot of, you know, big developed companies, are, I mean, countries are still still quite regulated. Beware of fraud. No. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been up to lately, Maddie? <laughs> Nothing. No. <laughs> 
I guess the last one to keep in mind, and I think we'll only touch on this very briefly because we did do an episode on this at the end of financial year recently with the wonderful Emma Bowdler from The Women's Accountant, but you do need to consider different tax implications if you're getting foreign income. So if you are investing overseas, you need to be aware that there are different tax implications. You might have to pay tax on your investments overseas. So that's something that you need to be across. If you're not sure, go back and listen to our tax episode. Yeah. And I would just quickly caveat by saying that it's not necessarily a disadvantage. It's just that if you are not willing to actually consider all those tax implications and understand them, then it's going to be difficult. Definitely. Okay, Maddie. So we've been rambling now for a little bit about all the benefits, (laughs) all the downsides. I hope everyone's across what's happening. The real question that is on my mind, genuinely, how do you invest in international markets? How do you access these, you know, stock exchanges? What's the process? Run me through how you've done it in the past. Yes. So I recently started investing in US and I was able to do that because my broker offers US trading. So I, at the moment, use Selfwealth and they have a US trading platform. So does that mean like you still log into the same app? Like do you go into a different screen? Like do you just search US stocks? Yeah, exactly. So when you're on your broker, there's an option. There's like a little toggle button and you can toggle across to US trading. Nice. Okay. (laughs) So when I signed up for US trading, so I already had my brokerage account and it was like a separate sign up. And that's the reason for that is because you have to set up a few things in order to be able to trade internationally. So when I did that, it prompted me to complete a US trading tax form. It was a pretty smooth process. So, you know, every broker will do this differently, but mine sort of had it all there ready for me to just fill out, sign away and off I went. And that's the W8 form, I think it is. Yes, that's correct. So they, they sort of had that as a form, as a part of the sign up, filled it out. And then once it took about, I think a day to sort of process. And then once set up and logged in, you transfer your AUD or your Australian dollars to US dollars within the brokerage platform. So on your normal broker, like you can go in and you can see like your, how much cash you've got in there. I not invested money. Yeah. Um, so you go in and you look at your like cash and you can transfer your AUD to USD. And that happens at the exchange rate that's set by your broker. And then once the money's converted, you can invest in US stocks just like you do Australian stocks. So the process is pretty easy, especially for US stocks. I mean, a lot of brokers now offer that and um, it's just money going into a company just in a different location. Exactly right. (laughs) So if this sort of sounds like it's all too much for you, there is a way that you can get exposure to international shares without doing that. So, so do you want to run us through this? Yep. So if you want to get international exposure, you can still buy ETFs um, that have companies that are based overseas and you can buy these ETFs on the ASX. So you can still do it all in Australian dollars and all you have to really do is find an ETF that tracks either a global market or individual companies or individual countries even. And that means you're still You don't have to worry about, you know, the tax implications and filling out the forms and converting your money. Uh, You just have to buy the ETF on the Australian Stock Exchange. Nice. Nice. I think one of the greatest things about investing is that it really connects you to the world 
and to conversations that you thought you'd never really be a part of. And if everything just becomes a little bit more interesting. So I thought we could talk about some of the current things that are happening at the minute. And then maybe in our Facebook group or on our Instagram, we'll continue the conversation with you guys and we can get your opinions about what you think. But the first kind of news story that's kind of popped into my newsfeed lately is Afterpay potentially listing on the NASDAQ. So for reference, they currently list on the ASX. So you can buy into Afterpay on the ASX using Australian dollars, etc. Yeah, so there are rumours. There, there are sort of two rumours flying around. And the first one is that Afterpay might do a dual listing where they list, they keep their listing in the ASX, but they also list on the NASDAQ. But then the other rumor that's flying around is that they're going to delist in Australia and shift to the NASDAQ. And this is really interesting. There's a few sort of reasons why they might be considering doing this. But sort of the most common one that seems to be being said is that it's going to boost its value because it's going to attract more sort of international and offshore investors. Plus, North America accounts for the majority of Afterpay's customers and sales, which is really interesting because Afterpay only started in the US recently. So I think that goes to show the kind of difference that we see between companies when they operate in the US and when they operate in Australia. We're just so much smaller. Yeah, I was going to say, I find that actually really interesting that you say that because I thought they just kind of moved into the US. Yeah, it is pretty recent. Yeah, I would have thought that other markets would be the biggest for sure. Just to step it back a bit, the ASX is kind of known for like high dividend paying stocks. So usually what you would know is like your value investments. Whilst Afterpay has attracted much attention in Australia and has become, you know, one of the top 20 companies on the exchange, there has been a lot of criticism that Australian investors have really struggled to assess a high growth company, preferring, you know, to see profits. And I think Another thing that's happening in the news a lot at the moment is that we have a lot of these tech companies, which are considered growth, you know, growth investing companies that are actually, you know, going overseas and moving overseas and IPOing overseas because it's not really the Australian tale. So that's something you might also see in the news quite a bit at the moment is just, you know, tech companies tend to move overseas a little bit more. Yeah. And I guess like part of the reason with that, and I think it's a classic case with Afterpay is that traditionally like Australian investors have kind of struggled to assess high growth companies and really appreciate the value because you know so many of them especially in their earlier years are loss making like they're not turning profits whereas you know really generally speaking the US market tends to have a bit more sort of patience for these tech players operating a loss as they really sort of build up and acquire customers so that's been an interesting one. Hopefully Afterpay stays on the ASX and I mean, I'll allow it to do a dual listing, but I would prefer not just to leave Australia altogether because I mean, people have really different opinions about Afterpay, but it has done amazingly well and it has grown so quickly on the Australian Stock Exchange. And I do feel like it would be a shame to just see it sort of up and go overseas. Yeah. And another one, Mads, that we actually spoke about the other day, it was actually um, the Deliveroo listing on the yes. London Stock Exchange. So similar to like we are just talking about with sort of the general trend in the Australian economy, you know, London is known as being a really old economy. The stock market's full of banks and energy companies. So when companies are picking where they want to list, you know, it kind of becomes this like badge of honor. And for a stock exchange, it's all about being that for that country or that city, being able to like maintain talent, you know, keep delivery in London and keep the talent and, you know, the vibing and thriving financial center. 
So for Deliveroo, there were all these fears that London was sort of becoming quite an outdated stock exchange because like we were just talking about with Australia, you know, a lot of the big tech companies that were starting up in London were moving overseas and listing listing on the US. And a lot of companies, I think this was post kind of a Brexit trend. A lot of companies were actually listing on the Amsterdam stock exchange, which we spoke about a little bit earlier. Yeah, that's so true about the Amsterdam one. I think, as you said, for London, like Deliveroo was kind of meant to say, the London Stock Exchange. And then, unfortunately, for some context, there was a huge drop in the share price and it completely plunged and it was a big kind of a, I don't want to say it's a huge fail because that's, <laughs> but that's what it was kind of depicted as in the media. You know, it went to list on the London Stock Exchange, let's save the London Stock Exchange, and then it completely dropped. Yeah, so I guess it's like Deliveroo was there to like make London Stock Exchange cool again and then it listed and for, you know, for reasons that were unrelated, it had a really bad IPO. So I guess what the concern is now is like when there's the next big sort of tech unicorn massive company that's looking to list, you know, are they going to want to list on the London Stock Exchange now? Because look what happened to Deliveroo, like that didn't go too well for them. Yeah, but I think the moral of, you know, all of this is like, it is quite interesting to, you know, look at companies and what they're doing and why they're doing it. And there's always a bit of a backstory. So if any of these interest you, if if you're ever seeing any IPOs come up, um, you know, that are coming up in the media, I know like I saw the other day that Glossier, the makeup brand was going to IPO, have a little look at where they're going to IPO, why they're going to do that. It's always, it's always interesting. It's always got a bit of a backstory. So, so if that brings us to our final segment, which we always love, the watch list. So today it's just you and I. Each episode, we like to add a stock, company, news trend, industry to our watch list. And the purpose of this is to get us thinking outside the box and broaden our horizons in the investing space. But of course, we are not financial advisors and this is purely for educational purposes and absolutely does not constitute financial advice or investment advice. Now, so if we set ourselves a little bit of a challenge of looking classic in line with today's episode, global today. So what have you got for me for your watch list? Yes. So I actually um, picked my watch list today off the back of a podcast that I listened to recently, which was so good. So I'm going to say recommendation, go listen to How I Built This by Guy Raz or with Guy Raz. And it's one of his resilience. He did like a mini series, like a resilience series. And he interviewed the founder, the co-founder of Airbnb, um, cool. his Brian Chesky. I'm going to pronounce that so wrong, Brian Chesky. So I'm bringing to the watch list Airbnb and my reasons why. So I, Airbnb IPO'd on the NASDAQ, so one of the US stock exchanges in December of 2020, and it's a household name. So when it became public, you know, the, the there was a lot of buzz around it and the share price totally blitzed it. It soared into the sky. Okay. So I remember this happening and it kind of went a little bit crazy when it first listed, but what has happened since then? Yeah. So since then it has, the share price has fallen quite a bit. I think it's, you know, top share price was something like $219. And I think today it's sitting at like $150 USD. And what did it list at just for reference? So if it got to 219 at the peak, where do we start? It started at $68. Whoa. <laughs> so it's like a big that jump. Huge. And then now it's a bit of a big fall, which, you know, can happen with IPOs. They can be volatile. That's fine. But the reason why I'm still putting it on the watch list is because when you – I think one of my things when I'm when I'm thinking about investing in stocks, it's, it's really about like the management team and the people that are running the company and understanding how the company is run. And when I was listening to this podcast, I – 
just kind of fell in love with the owners of Airbnb <laughs> slightly. <laughs> I think, you know, they're very forward thinking and Airbnb was very adversely affected during COVID because obviously they're not a travel company, but they rely on travel. And just the way that they spoke about pivoting into new directions, you know, they spoke about working from home offices and, you know, more domestic travel and just trying to change their whole business model um, so that they could cope with the pandemic. The other thing that I really liked is with the pandemic, something that Airbnb found was they needed to get to back to the basics and the roots and the values of why they started the company. And that was to connect people. And I think I just really resonated with that because it's like, if you have a management team that is connecting to their very core values, like I think a company can go a long way when they have like a joint purpose or a, you know, a very focused purpose. And the fact that they said that, you know, maybe we didn't see that as much before COVID and now we've really seen it. I think there's growth potential within the company. So that's my watch list. I think that's a great example of how you can find and be inspired about potential investments how I built this that podcast is such a great one. I was listening to it the other day and he was interviewing Whitney from Bubble, Bumble, the CEO. And same thing, such a great company, such a great approach to leading. Um, and I think that's, yeah, a great example of where we can find inspiration, taking that and then doing a bit more digging about whether, okay, is this a potentially really good investment? So Maddie, for you, what international company, stock, news, trend, whatever, are you adding to the watch list today? Yeah. So I have also gone um, US and I've also gone NASDAQ. So I today am adding Netflix, um, ticker NFLX, if you wanted to look it up. So I guess the way that this one came to my attention was I was doing a bit of self-reflection the other day (laughs) and I realized that when my approach to streaming services, I always have Netflix and all of the other streaming services, I come and go depending on what they've got at the moment. And it's because I downloaded Stan to try and watch the latest season of The Bold Type public service announcement. It's really bad and I hated it. <laughs> but as soon as the bowl type was over, I was getting rid of Stan. I was like, I don't need this anymore. But Netflix, it doesn't matter if I'm watching anything or not. I keep it. So then I messaged my friends and I asked them if they do the same. And they said that they do. And I was like, okay, we are on to something here. So for a little bit of reference, Netflix has had earnings growth over the last five years of over 50% on average. And in the last year, they grew over 68%. Which would be helped by COVID, I'm sure. Yes, exactly. Because we had so many people staying at home watching Netflix. Now, one thing to note is that they do have quite a lot of debt and the share price has moved around quite a bit recently. And I guess short term, the share price is really impacted by subscriber growth. So every time they make an announcement, and if like subscriber growth has is really up or if it's down or whatever, that seems to impact the share price a lot in the short term. I think the last time I checked, it was trading at $542. But I guess what I'm thinking about is like long-term, what does this space look like? And Hamish Douglas from Magellan did a really great or made a really incredible case for Netflix when he did his interview with the guys over at Equity Mates. And he talked about how, you know, acknowledging that the market is becoming really oversaturated in the streaming space. Um, in the long term, who is going to succeed in this space? It really is a scale game. 
So the cool thing about Netflix is that it has local production all over the world. So, you know, think Narcos, Lupin, Caliphate, like these were created for one market and then they became global hits. Yeah. And I think the other thing as well is like we did a news story um, about Netflix on our Instagram, like they're now moving into video games, like where you can play video games on Netflix. So you've got a company that is moving with the trends and that is very progressive. 100%. So I guess the other thing that I'm thinking about, and this is probably the trend more generally, is like free-to-air TV is going down every single year. So, you know, advertising revenue is hugely important for TV. And if they're not getting eyes on screens, then advertisers are just going to stop using free-to-air as a channel to really keep pushing their products. If they're not getting their advertising revenue and they have less money from that, then they can't produce shows. If they don't have shows, then people are going to turn to streaming services more and more. So the scale of that whole free-to-air space is really up for grabs in terms of streaming services sort of taking over in that area. Yeah, and also because Netflix already has kind of that market share, it's easy for them to take it on. Exactly. So they've got that advantage of scale. So when I, I guess like I think about other services and like we said well, like I said, something that I've observed in myself is like the churn is really high when I think about other um, streaming services that I use. I watch a series, I end my I end my subscription when the series is done. I would say that the one that probably is right up there with Netflix, I think, is Disney. They have got some beautiful content on there. <laughs> oh my god, Maddie, I'm such a Disney person. Like I could watch a Disney film any day of the week without a doubt. I recently I recently watched the Hannah Montana movie and it just made me so happy. <laughs> no, I'm like the I'm like the classics, like the Aristocats. Like that stuff is my, yeah. my jam. <laughs> Lizzie McGuire movie also love. <laughs> so pretty much you just like movies about like young girls singing. <laughs> I and think finding it's just their the nostalgia. Like it just <laughs> takes me back to like my late, like my early teens. You just want to go on a Vespa with Paolo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Well, I think that brings us nicely to the end of today's episode. Yes, it does. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in and learning all about international investing. As Maddie said, next week, we're going to do a bit more of a specific dive into those emerging markets um, so that we can understand them a little bit better. But in the meantime, go and find us on your social media platform that you prefer. You can jump on to Instagram, YIGC podcast. Find us on TikTok at YIGC Podcast and please DM us if you have any tips for what we should be doing because we do not know. Otherwise, (laughs) you can join our community group on Facebook, YIGC Investing Podcast Discussion Group. We love when people post in this group because it can be such an awesome resource. So please don't be shy and post away. Also, if you're listening to this, post it somewhere. Post it on your social media and let your friends know because if you're liking it, they might like it too. Thank you very much. And we will hear you next week. Goodbye. You're in good company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of You're in Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. 
In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Your In Good Company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.